0: This episode is sponsored by Alison Hammer's new novel, Little Pieces of Me, which is available now and the link is in the show notes. Following her acclaimed debut novel, You and Me and Us, Allison offers a deeply moving story of family and identity. When a DNA test reveals a long buried secret, a woman must look to the past to understand her mother and herself. Little Pieces of Me is available now wherever books are sold. I have been seeing Little Pieces of Me all over Instagram with glowing reviews, so I hope you'll check it out. This is the Thoughts From a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Today, I am interviewing Karen White about The Last Night in London. Karen is the New York Times bestselling author of more than 25 novels. She has also co-authored three books with best-selling authors Beatrice Williams and Lauren Willig. She grew up in London, but now lives with her husband and two dogs near Atlanta, Georgia. Conversations from a Page, the literary salon that I run with Krista Hensel, is hosting Karen with Christy Woodson Harvey on April 28th at 11 a.m. Central Time. It will be on Zoom, and we would love to have you join us. There's a link in the show notes if you want to find out more information. I really enjoyed speaking with Karen, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2- and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughtsfromapage. Check it out. Welcome, Karen. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Cindy. I'm glad you're here so we can talk about your latest, The Last Night in London. Yes, thank you. Why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about it?
1: Okay, well,
0: I'm really bad at the elevator pitch thing, but I'm going
1: to do the best I can. So this is sort of, it's my most personal book yet. It has been many years in the making, and it is about a a young woman from Georgia who is hired to come interview a woman for her 100th birthday in London, England, because she lived in London and was a famous fashion model in Paris and London during the war. And she has recently donated her clothing collection to the London Fashion Museum. And British Vogue is doing a sort of a, uh, an article on the, the model and the time and the whole thing's supposed to be about fashion in a time of crisis. So, of course, the character Maddie Warner, who has appeared in two earlier books, although this isn't a sequel. She appears in London and starts interviewing Precious Dubose, who you might also recall if you read all the ways we said goodbye. She was a character in that book. Again, this isn't a sequel. It's just a reunion of characters. And of course, when Maddie begins interviewing Precious, they both start peeling back the layers of all the secrets and of all the pieces and parts of their lives that they have kept hidden for so long. And in many ways, they form a very unexpected bond and reveal very surprising secrets about each other.
0: Well, where did you get the inspiration for this one? I know you lived in London when you were younger. So did you incorporate some from your time there? Or like, where did the ideas come from?
1: Well, I have to say the initial idea came from years and years ago. Well, maybe not, I'm not that old, but when I was in seventh grade, we moved to London. My father uh, worked for Exxon. When we moved, we moved into this beautiful Edwardian building. It was built in 1904 on Regent's Park. Um, It had many famous residents, including Mick Jagger. And when we moved in, I remember the porter, who's like the doorman, because I was curious as to why half the windows in the flat were plain glass and the other half were this beautiful uh, leaded glass, you know, casement windows. And I, I asked the porter and he explained, oh, during the blitz, there were many nearby bombs and these windows were shattered and they were replaced with plain glass. And I remember at that time, cause I, you know, I, I had no plans to be a writer, but I loved history and I loved stories. I was a big reader. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would just, you know, lay in bed at night And trying to imagine the people that, you know, slept in my bedroom, lived in my flat, lived those lives from 1904 up to that time, including during the Blitz. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Blitz, it was almost nightly bombing by the Germans for almost nine months that the British citizens had to endure. You know, only uh, almost uh, 43,000 people died. 1.1 1.1 million um, homes and flats were destroyed. And yet, every morning, these people would get up and they'd go back to work and they would carry on. And I was just mesmerized by that, that really important piece of history. When I did become a writer, I knew there had to be a point where I set a book in this beautiful building where I lived for seven years. And it is the setting for uh, the book in both the uh, World War II period and also the modern
0: day. Well, as I was reading about the building, I'm like, I can't wait to ask Karen if this is where she actually lived when she was in London. That is so cool.
1: Yeah, I just, um, it was such a remarkable experience. It really was, you know, like holding history in your hands, not only living in the building, but living in London. Right across the street from Harley House is a building where there used to be an old house, but right now it's only a plaque with some carvings in it because on that corner stood the house where Charles Dickens wrote David Copperfield. I mean, you can't get, you know, closer to history, you know, than that and then standing, you know, in in the spot where bombs hit during the blitz. It's just it's really remarkable.
0: It is remarkable. That's one of my favorite things about visiting London is I think no matter where you're walking around in the older parts of the city there's always a plaque with something like you're just describing or a statue of Agatha Christie or there's the Churchill War Rooms. There's just everything yes. is related to history. It's so cool. Right. Especially for, you know, history nerds. Yes. Such as, <laughs> such as myself. <laughs> and myself, obviously. That's so funny that your dad worked for Exxon and all the times we talked about London. I didn't realize that. My dad worked for Exxon his entire career.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, we lived in, my parents met in Houston Uh, Both my parents were, well, it was then Humble Oil and Refining Company. And then it became SO, Standard Oil, SO, and then Exxon. Now it's ExxonMobil. But yeah, and I lived in Houston for two years as a little girl.
0: I did not even know that. Well, we moved a fair amount too, but it was up to New York and then to Brazil and then back to Houston, and then they lived in Sydney for four years, and then oh, they came wow. back here when he retired. So I know Exxon moves people all over.
1: Yeah, we were in Venezuela, and the Netherlands, and then London for seven years. And we, my dad
0: worked in New York, but we lived in uh, northern New Jersey when he worked there. We lived in Westport, so it was the same thing. He took the train into the city. Well, what else did you incorporate? Your building? Was there anything else from your time there that you put into this story, or any other personal details? Um,
1: yes. I mean, and it's funny, I've, I've been posting a lot of pictures on social media. I probably should post these, you know, on my website. Thank you for reminding me. I'm making a note to myself. So I have a lot of pictures and I should be, you know, I finally reached the age where I'm just not embarrassed by my old pictures anymore. <laughs> but in the book, the Savoy Hotel plays a pretty major role. and in, And during the war, it was a hotbed of political intrigue and spying and Lots of interesting things happened at the Savoy, so it plays a major part in my book, but it also happens to be the setting of my junior prom. Yes, I've been forced to <laughs> to post my junior prom picture <laughs> on social media. Oh, that's
0: hilarious. But how cool is that? Not many people can say that their junior prom was held someplace as cool as the Savoy. Right, right. Which, you know, is
1: really exciting. And I can't, there is a picture. And I've asked, my sister-in-law was my best friend in high school. I married her brother. So we wow. went to junior prom together. And there is a picture of the four of us. You know, nobody drove then, you know, because the driving age was 21. So for prom, you know, not only did we get to go to prom in these gorgeous London hotels, but because we could, we would rent like a Bentley or a chauffeur Bentley or Rolls Royce to take us there. <laughs> and there's a picture of us in front of Harley house getting, you know, the chauffeur holding open the door and us getting inside, you know, um, dressed up in our prom stuff. And I'm dying to find that picture because there are several scenes in the book where precious is picked up at the front door in a very fancy car. And um, I so want to find it. I just can't. I think I took it out for some reason and didn't put it back. So I have to ask my sister-in-law if she can get her hands
0: on it. That's what I was just going to say. Ask her if she has it.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. And yeah, great. Right, lots of great memories. And um, there, what is the other thing? There's another, oh, there's a really embarrassing picture of me uh, standing. So I have a picture of Mick Jagger standing on the roof of Harley house. Which happens, and I happen to find it by accident on the internet. I mean, if you Google Mick Jagger Harley House, you'll you'll see it there. He lived there for a number of years with uh, Marianne Faithful. But it's so funny because my nerdly moment—I've only ever skipped school once in my life, and that was because I had started reading *Gone with the Wind* the night before, and I couldn't put it down. So you know, I told my mom, I was, you know, bye mom, because we would just walk to the tube station and go to school. And so I said, bye mom. And I went right up to the roof. And that same spot where he's pictured is where I played hooky that one day in seventh grade to read Gone with the Wind.
0: Okay. I love that, that the one day you to school, it was to read Gone with the Wind. I know, right?
1: How nerdy <laughs> is that? So I could read for crying out loud. No, I wasn't smoking cigarettes. I wasn't doing
0: anything bad. I was reading. Exactly. So you have the right career. It's clearly showing. Yeah, yeah. It was clearly meant to be. Well, I love that. Well, what about research? So tell me a little bit about your research for this one, because I would assume there was a fair amount. There was,
1: and sadly, it had to be all confined to books. We had made plans to go to London in 2019, and then I, uh, my parents both had like health issues that needed to be addressed asap. I had to move them put them in a facility and then sort of take over all of their care which became a full-time job I mean it was, it was very difficult and uh, that's why this book actually it was it was supposed to be out last year but it was eight months late because I was dealing with you know life life happens and so we didn't make it to London and then we thought okay we'll go um let's go to France because I want to go to the Normandy beaches not that it's part of this book but I've always wanted to go and I can't believe I lived in England for seven years and I've been to all sorts of cool places, but never the the Normandy beaches. So we're going to do a little bit of London again. I was going to, you know, go to the uh, Churchill War Rooms, and um, nope, COVID. <laughs> so, so I had to do everything reading. But luckily, there is so much out there about Winston Churchill. There's so many personal accounts of people who lived in London during during the Blitz. There are diaries. There is, and I, there was a project that was sponsored by the government where they, they had people write their observe, the, it, Has the word observation in it. I'm sorry. I can't think of it right now, but, um, they're observation journals of people living in London during the Blitz. And I got so much day to day information, you know, what they were eating, what, you know, what their rations were, what, what their neighbors were doing, you know, what happened during an air raid. It was, it was so eye opening. And Lynn Olson wrote a book called Last Hope Island, which is all about England being the last holdout during, during the war and a lot about Winston Churchill. And not only did I just you know discover I had a a tremendous crush on Winston Churchill, (laughs) but like a new admiration for what the British went through, and how Winston Churchill was so important to winning the war and saving the world, really. But yeah, so there are just reams and reams of written material and records and firsthand accounts, and and that's how I had you know had to do most of my research. I do have a British friend who lives in London. So I had to read the manuscript. I'm like, you know, it's been a while since I lived there. I just need to make sure that I have all the slang right and I'm not making any mistakes and that I've got this right. Um, and, you know, in terms of directions and tube lines, because I've added a few tube lines since I've lived there. But yeah, so she only had a few corrections. For instance, I said, you know, people put cream in their tea. It's not. It's milk. And, um, and I should have known that. Yeah, so just a few changes. So I, I it should be as accurate as possible, and any mistakes are completely mine.
0: I think that that's natural, and I think it's wonderful that you do the research to make it as authentic as possible. I also think, like you were just saying, I can't imagine what it was like to live in London during the Blitz. Even though there is so much written about it, and I've read a lot and watched a lot, still to just think that they truly did just get up day after day, head out into the streets, awaiting any second, you these alarms going off and, you know, watching all of these things happen. It's just, it's truly mind-boggling. Right. There's also so many pictures,
1: you know, photographic Mm -hmm. accounts. You know, right. they show people in the shelters. They show people the ne- the morning after an air raid. You know, there's a woman. Or the front of her store has been blown out, but she's brought the merchandise out onto the sidewalk, and she's there sweeping up the glass. And then it says "business as usual." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my gosh! You know, my hat is off to these people because you know Hitler thought that after less than a week of air raids. Britain would give up, just surrender. And Churchill was like, no, 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 we will never, never, never surrender. And he really got the people behind him. And that's why they did it. They really were all in it together, um, which kind of makes me laugh now when we ask people to like wear a mask for 20 minutes in the grocery store. It's like, what? what? My personal, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, just please just read one thing about the Blitz and you will never complain about a minor inconvenience ever again.
0: I agree completely. I think if that was mandatory watching, you know, some kind of film about it right now, we have a lot more people who were a lot less worked up about their personal freedoms. Exactly. But you know, the other thing when you do read about the time period, there were some people, not a lot, but some who felt that Hitler's taking over England and London, particularly, was inevitable. So I mean, you did have some people who were pushing back a little bit, and I think that Churchill did a great job of rallying the people and getting enough people behind him to sort of push past that. Mm-hmm.
1: He's he was he's one of those rare people that I'm not going to call him stubborn because a lot of people say you know stubborn is sort of a negative thing. He was true to his very hard-held beliefs and that England and everything England stood for was at stake. And it was between him, you know, they had to get past him. And, you know, he wouldn't listen to those naysayers, like, just give it in. You know, they're going to kill so many of us. They're going to destroy, they're going to bomb Buckingham Palace. And, you know, they did. And, um, you know, and the king and queen just dusted themselves. They stayed in England as well, as well as uh, Princess Elizabeth, who's now queen. And I think just showing that resiliency to the people, Great Britain has, you know, hasn't been on the earth and such a world power for so long for being mealy-mouthed and surrendering.
0: Exactly. They're definitely stoic and strong people. Mm -hmm. Well, what surprised you the most about writing this one?
1: Just, you know, the way it sort of took on a life of its own when I first imagined the story, it wasn't, you know, the, the the genesis was there. But the way it turned out, like and and I'm, I you know, I'm not gonna give anything away, but there is a major plot point that I didn't figure out till I was about three quarters of the way through the book and and it was funny cuz that the in the back of my head it must have been there the whole time because i had to do very little rewriting to make it work but it it is the big the big thing of the plot and and i loved it because that that's exactly what needed to happen yeah and you know and and again learning about the everyday lives of british citizens just total admiration on my part i knew it was hard i just didn't know how hard and i also love you know how Even when I lived in London and I knew about those windows being shattered, I had no idea of the extent and breadth of the Blitz. It's really, you know, and I mean, I was young when I lived, you know, well, middle school, high school, but you know, you have other interests when you're in middle school and high school. And I was an American teenager. And so I'm I'm afraid that I didn't take advantage as much as I should have of, of really learning more about London and the Blitz. I I did the requisite historical stuff touring when I lived there, but the Blitz, I just wish I'd spent more time because there is so much more there. I want to go back. I want to see, like they just found in Regent's Park, uh, which was right behind my building, like lots of um, skeletons that they think were buried there quickly during the Blitz. You know, because they didn't have time to identify them or bury them or they couldn't identify and they just buried them where, where they died. And, you know, I didn't know that. And that's right behind my house. I used to go running over that field. You know, my little brother played soccer on that field. You know, there's just so much more there. Um, and i to keep on begging my husband, please let us move. I can work anywhere. And he's like, Yeah, Karen, but I can't. I'm like, Well, that's not my problem. <laughs> you can commute. <continued.
0: laughs> well, once all of this pandemic stuff is done, then you can just start taking an annual trip over there.
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, we, we've been there multiple times with our children, but now it gets more complicated because they're adults with, you know, their own lives, their own jobs, and uh, they still expect us to pay for everything.
0: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, how did you come up with the title to this one? And it's really interesting. I was looking at at it before we started talking. And it's all in lowercase. So how did you decide to do that?
1: You know, that's sort of, if you look at all of my, um, that's my new look. They have, uh, every time they, they reprint a book, they give me a title like that with my name in big bold with New York Times bestselling author written in between the first and last name. And then the title, um, smaller in all lower caps, that's just sort of the Karen White look now. I don't really know where it came from, but it's, it's sort of so when everybody has my, you know, you have my books on your shelf all together, there's a uniform look to it. But the title itself was not my, my title. Usually they love my titles, but this, my title for this book. And when you read the book, you'll understand. Um, and the poem is mentioned a couple of times in the book. It's by William Wordsworth and it's, it's a line from this poem and it is the unremembered acts of kindness and of love. Because that is, we all read about the heroes in the history books. We know about Winston Churchill. We know about other famous people who made such a difference during the war. But it's the everyday people that made such sacrifices and acts of heroism that never get sung about. And so many of them are unsung heroes who went to their graves without any fanfare or hoopla or anything written in the history books about them. But that doesn't mean that they didn't do anything heroic. and that is pretty much the theme in this book, because what people sacrifice and what what they do is very heroic, but you would never hear about it. And my publisher was like, well, Karen, it's just such a long title. And I'm like, well, have you ever heard of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society?
0: <laughs> and they're like, yes. And people are still trying to string those words together in the correct but they order. they <laughs> know what they're talking about. They say the Potato Peel Pie Society book, <laughs> the potato
1: right. book. So they kind of came up with this one. And I was like, they came up with a bunch. And this is sort of the one we both settled on.
0: Do you have a favorite of your books? Like if you look back on everything you've written and the Mm. books you've written with Lauren and Beatrice also, do any of them stand out to you particularly?
1: Well, you know, that is like asking a, a mother about her favorite child. They all mean something very special to me. The ones that stand out well, every book that I write with Lauren and Beatrice, because it's such a joy to write with writing partners. It's even a bigger joy to go on a, um, a publisher paid girls <laughs> trip. Otherwise, it's a book tour. <laughs> the three of us are together. But oh wow, there are so many that I love. And it's usually the last one that I wrote. So I'm going to say The Last Night in London, because it is so personal to me. And I was able to sort of go back to my home, which was, it, it, was, it was a really cool feeling so I would say this book just because it is so personal and then again there's the Trad Street series but only I think because I've just been with those characters for over ten years now
0: and that's a long time to have them inhabiting your world
1: oh absolutely it's it it, it they're like my my cousins my sister my children you know they're just they're here all the time they don't go away
0: yeah you're thinking I wonder what they're doing now <laughs> yes I do I really and when I'm
1: in the middle of like right now I'm I'm sort of in the middle of, of, you know, between one book and the next. And I keep on thinking, oh, wait, I let, oh, they're waiting for me to get back to them. They were in the dining room. They're still eating. And, you know, they're probably wondering where I am.
0: (laughs) I love that. I don't know. For some reason that just always tickles me when authors say that, like these characters are real people. I think that's so fun. Of course they're real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What am I thinking? (laughs) Well, on that note, what about what you're working on at the present? Is there anything you can tell me about? Oh, absolutely. So
1: the Trad Street series, the last book does come out this November. It's The Attic on Queen Street. Because it was very hard for me to say goodbye, although I knew I needed to say goodbye, my publisher and I decided that there needed to be a spinoff series. So that spinoff series, um, will the first book, which I'm currently working on right now, and it is called The Shop on Royal Street, will be out next fall. Wait. Not this fall. Next fall. Yeah. What year is this? to so
0: 2022 fall.
1: Yes, exactly. And which sort of fall, you know, it'll be a month after the last book in the Trad Street series. This story, this series will be set in New Orleans and the lead character will be Nola Trenum, who is the young daughter in the Trad Street series. And now she's all grown up. Oh, well, that's so fun. I had no idea you were doing that. Yeah. A lot of people haven't because I haven't talked about it because, I mean, again, it's been such a crazy two years. I don't I don't even know my name most days.
0: And you have this book coming out and then I'm sure you're working on something with Beatrice and Lauren. Oh, yes. And then you're finishing up this Trad Street series and mm-hmm. thinking about launching that one. So yes, I'm sure trying to keep up with these various stories. What about the three W's? Are you guys working in anything?
1: Uh, thank you for asking. Um, we are hard at work on it. It will, no title yet. It will be out also next fall. It will be a busy year for mm-hmm. Karen White next year. And again, no title, but it is set in Newport, Rhode Island. We're like two thirds of the way through. And it is set, uh, the time periods are Gilded Age. So 1890s, 1950s, and modern day. And remember, this is Newport, Rhode Island. So think all those gorgeous mansions and all the high society people. And of course, dead bodies.
0: That's one of my favorite places to read about. So I am so excited Mm -hmm. about that already. It's just, Mm -hmm. and reading about it when those mansions were built and then reading about it in present day, that will be awesome.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there's, and it's because it's um, the modern frame of the story is uh, they're doing a a reality uh, show called Makeover Mansion. Oh, how fun. Where my main character has been hired to, you know, lead the show where they renovate part of one of the Newport mansions.
0: And which timeline are you writing? I'm not allowed to say. I was trying. I, I could tell you're like, oh, you were like hoping to trip me up, but yeah. am like, I'm going to sneak it in there and she's going to tell me. Yeah. Good effort, but no. I know. I'm, someday I'm going to break the code. Tell me a little bit about what you've read recently that you really liked. Okay. So I loved, so
1: Lauren Willig, and I know she is a co-writer and a dear friend of mine, but oh my gosh, her new book that came out, I guess last month, A uh, Band of Sisters, it is incredible. It is, I couldn't put it down. It's set in World War I about a Smith uh, College relief unit of all women based on a true story. Lots of her research was fascinating. She found letters from these women, and that's how she wrote the book. Incredible book. And then also, and I, I spoke with the author yesterday, The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. Another big, thick historical that I, I just adored. And then I'm and because, you know, you have to mix it up a little bit. So I'm I always listen to an audiobook as well because I'm in the car a lot and um, I walk dogs, fold laundry, all those good things. And that book is called Ghosted by an author who I've never met um, a new author to me. My daughter recommended this book. It's Rosie Walsh.
0: And I this- love that book. I haven't heard about that in so long. Oh my gosh. Don't tell me because I'm not done. It oh, is- I can't because yes, you do. You, yeah,
1: it is so good. It is so good. So good. So I have to see what else she's written because I love her style of writing. It's brilliant.
0: You know, I, that's the only thing I've read by her. But when you're done, you're going to have to reach back out to me because you're going to get to the end and be like, oh my gosh. Okay.
1: That's what my daughter said. And I'm like, don't tell me. Don't tell me. She's like, hurry up. Finish it. It's really good. I'm so excited.
0: Thank you, Karen. I always thoroughly enjoy speaking with you. And I forgot to mention that our Conversations from a Page Literary Salon will be hosting you and Christy Woodson Harvey on April 28th. Yes. So hopefully people will join us and I'll put that link in the show notes. But I'm really excited to have the two of y'all together to talk about your books. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for today. This has been lovely.
1: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of seven minute stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page, Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Karen's book can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page Bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. Thanks so much to Allison Hammer and her new book, Little Pieces of Me for sponsoring this episode. And please check out her book. I have heard so many great things about it. I hope you'll tune in next time.